This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 27 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the best and most talented folks from the Southern California hospitality industry and beyond each and every episode. I'm your host, Groff McCarthy, founder of The Best Seats. Thank you, as always, to Allie Coyle for providing music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. And as always, as a reminder, if you like the show, Please be sure to leave ratings, feedback, whatever you need. It helps other people find it, depending on where you're listening to. And head to thebestseats.com for more content just like this. I am so excited for episode 27. I'm excited for most of the episodes. If I ever log on one day and I'm like, eh, it's going to be mediocre, just skip to the next one. But luckily, that's never going to happen when I have guests as cool and as honest and talented as Nick Herrera, chef over at Whitestone in Dana Point. You may remember very early on, uh, I want to say like somewhere in the teens, you can go back and look for them. We had Chef Tony from Whitestone. Uh, the restaurant is a really rare kind of situation where it's not just one chef that's really kind of on display while the rest of the brigade is kind of in the back. It, it really is this kind of two-headed little hydra system that they have with Nick and Tony. Uh, extremely talented, but also extremely vulnerable. Uh, this is a really, really cool episode because we talk about a lot of topics that are aspects of the hospitality industry that are kind of just these known facts that we don't really dive into. But it's also one of those things with everything going on that if restaurants close, you're going to lose this massive possibility basically for people to work. We're going to talk about incarceration. We're going to talk about getting a job after doing jail time, you know, what it's like to jump into the mix and kind of, you know, refine yourself and, and put some direction in your life. Um, you know, Nick is super, super honest in this episode and candid, which I can't begin to appreciate enough. Uh, when we sat down, you know, I knew some of these things. Truth be told, I didn't know all these things. So sitting down with him was really eye-opening for me. I hope it's eye-opening for you. Uh, and just, again, it kind of speaks to more of those benefits from restaurants that we don't always see, but are massive parts of the industry. So yes, while it's important to have restaurants so that you can go somewhere and get a free dessert for your anniversary, it's more important for people who have done jail time to be able to hop on the line and cook and make something of themselves when it's so damn impossible to get a job anywhere else. And that's one of the things that I'm most grateful to Nick about is coming on, telling his story, talking about his passage, you know, through you know the kitchens of Playground at Taco Maria and now at Whitestone. And that's a good enough resume to put anybody on the map. Los Angeles, New York, I mean, those three restaurants, you're good. Um, we're going to talk about Playground a bunch, a little bit about Taco Maria, both of which I should mention just because they're fantastic. Both really good restaurants. Taco Maria and Playground are really fantastic. If they're in your area, please support them. And obviously, please support Whitestone. We recorded this middle of August. Uh, this is going live just towards the end. Depending on when you're listening to this, uh, Patreon, it should be live end of August. Non-Patreon people, it should be live. Maybe first week of September, we'll find out. But either way, um, at the time of the recording, restaurants are still getting their asses kicked. So go out and support and support people like Nick 
um, and his awesome story. But that's enough of me mansplaining it to you. We got to hear it in this guy's own words. So episode 27 of the Best Seeds Podcast, Chef Nick Herrera. Hello. What's up, Chef? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, buddy. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, for sure, man. How are things going? You know, we have a time nowadays. <laughs> I know, unfortunately, uh, right? Yeah. I mean, things are going good. Things are day by day, you know what I mean? So, Nick, I'm... Can't, I'm can't. Well, I know. I hopefully can't complain. I mean, you guys are still working, so uh, these days, that's pretty much yeah. all any chef can kind of hope for. Uh, Nick, I'm really fired up to get you on the show, mainly not just because I love your cooking and I think you're an awesome dude and I think this is going to be a fun interview, but having already had uh, Tony on the show, this is kind of one of those really rare, rare moments where I kind of get both sides of the coin. You guys are kind of really this two-headed monster down at Whitestone. And while, mm -hmm. again, Tony was at this point almost three months ago, I think I had him on late May. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of see what the difference, what that time span has kind of been like for Whitestone. Um, but people kind of know the restaurant a little bit based on, if nothing else, my own bias towards it. But would you mind really uh, quickly, just so the people that don't know you, introduce yourself and give a little bit of your background? Yeah, for sure. Um, my name is Chef Nicholas Herrera, and I am the partner, janitor, whatever needs to be done with Tony Celeste over at uh, Whitestone Bar and Restaurant in Point. Um, a little bit about my background and stuff. Um, I came... <laughs> My long term was at the playground in uh, downtown Santa Ana, where I worked under Chef Jason Quinn for quite some time. Um, that was pretty much where I kind of found, not just myself, but I found just what food can really become. You know, the potential of like what a dish has meaning of. And so just to get to that point, uh, my relationship with Jason started off back in the day when I wasn't even cooking i never even thought in the world i'd be a chef you know like i didn't wake up one day and go oh i'm gonna be a chef um i kind of fell through like life turns mm -hmm. and uh i don't know early on i kind of was a mischief a little shithead and ended up going to jail a couple times here and there and i was actually my first cooking job was in county where i had to get on a bus from 12 a.m and work at the, the main in Santa Ana from 12 a.m. to 8 a.m. Damn. And then when I got released, yeah, dude. And then when I got released, um, I decided to pull my head out of my ass and I called my dad. I'm like, hey, man, like, I want to go to school. Like, I want I wanted to do something with my life. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, culinary, man. Like, I'm my favorite restaurant I go to all the time is the playground in Santa Ana. And I kind of created a relationship with Jason at the time. And I, I, I mean, I was at rock bottom, man. I was like, I didn't know what I wanted or what I wanted to do yeah. with my life. And so he's like, all right, I'll pay for it. And I wanted to go to the CIA in New York. Um, so then I had all that lined up, but I went to the playground and I asked Jason, like, hey man, like, where do you recommend I go? Like, you're, you're, you're the top of the level in Orange County. Like, you know, this is like eight years ago. And I'm like, hey man, like, where do I go? And he said, come here, I'll teach you everything. And I was like, what? Like, what do you mean? So, I ended up doing a six month stage where I would work there five days a week, 10, 12 hours a day, sweeping, mopping, labeling, but being surrounded by like Chef Carlo, you know, Chef Jan, mm -hmm. Maddie, Colin, you know, these guys who were super talented cooks 
in their early years of playground, like for me, it was a, such a moment, you know? And from there on, I this cried, like started creating milestones, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, um, you know, I want to be a line cook and then I want to be the headline cook. And then I wanted to, you know, work at 2.0 and then be in the Chino farm battle dish. And then one day I want to beat Jason Quinn. And then, you know, little by little. And one day someone didn't show up on the fire station and they all looked at me and like, are you ready? And I said, fuck yeah. And then <laughs> I, I, excuse my language, by the way. I'm not, Oh no, 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 no. You're good. I already had Frank Deloche on the show. I specifically <laughs> set this show up to be explicit just because I didn't want people to have to hold back. So no, say whatever the fuck you want. You're good. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Um, but yeah, so like given that opportunity in my life, like, I was, you know, I, I, I burned all my bridges. Mm-hmm. I had no friends. I, I was a scumbag, man. I, I, I was a shitty human being. I drank a lot and I just didn't know where my life was going. And the kitchen kind of just took its wings, you know, like we opened his arms to me and Jason could have had a big part of that. Yeah. I'm like, my relationship with him now is definitely nowhere near what it was, but that just comes with life on my terms. And but I owe it all to him for giving me the opportunity and surrounding me by those people and not just like giving me a chance, but like giving me a future, you know? So whatever happens, you know, I, I'll, I'll always owe it to him for him putting me in the position to grind. And that's what I've been doing. I've been grinding ever since I made the moral choice to like change my life. But so eventually fast, we're going to get forward now. No, and eventually we're going to fast forward and get to Whitestone, but I'm really glad that you brought up those points because kitchens are really kind of the last bastion for people that, again, it's so hard for people that have been convicted and done, you know, time of any type, whether it's, you know, hard time or just county, things like that. It's so hard for people to get reacclimated. So many people refuse to kind of hire as soon as they see those, you know, implications on a resume of, oh, you've been convicted oh, of something. Oh, hell yeah, man. Kitchens are kind I'm of the last bastion. I'm going against Court on Blue. Yeah. And like, I got a felony record, a criminal record, and I'm going up against like, for example, like six months into my stage, and I'm like grinding. I'm all like, when am I going to get the job? Hopefully one day. And you see kids from Corn on Blue, and they get hired only doing a two day stage. Yeah. But they fucking earned it, man. Like, I made life choices by doing selfish things where these kids had a dream early on, you know. And it, it took me a long time just to lose that selfish mentality. Well, as, as fair as that is, it is one of the benefits of, I think, the hospitality world that vastly overlooks is it does offer opportunities to anybody. It, it doesn't discriminate against whatever your background is. As long as you can hold your shit on the line and cook and learn and be fast and handle that pressure, there's a place for you in a yep. kitchen. No doubt. Yeah, which, which is amazing. Like, that's what I needed in life because, like, I don't know, I've always been kind of shit on. Like, I grew up in uh, special education. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time learning, reading, and writing in general. Like, I've always been in the classes that have, like, five teachers and, like, a handful of students because I have that thing that I have a hard time learning. And, like, that has a lot to do with the early on because, like, when you're being made fun of in high school and shit or, like, middle school, you kind of just rebel. And you learn early on as well. Like, dude, if I have the drugs, the money, the women, the sex, all that, all that shit follows. Yeah. And, it, and it comes, it comes brainwashing. So luckily for me, I found myself with a knife and a carrot and I got to cook. <laughs> and, um, it's been one of the blessings in this guy. And like meeting Tony has really humbled me too, because like coming from a background like playground, I thought I was a shit. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. dude, if I could put up with Jason and put up with everybody there for fucking seven years, like get out of my way. You know, like I, I created milestones. I, I, I achieved those milestones and I'm going to keep going. 
like nothing's going to stop me. And then when I um, eventually got to Whitestone, which was after Talk of Maria, I spent a little time with a, a good friend of mine from there. And then um, I was supposed to go to Angler in mm-hmm. LA to yep. open the uh, Beverly Center. Um, did a whole interview, got the job, but the renovation took freaking forever to get like going, going. And I was living in Tustin at the time, trying to close the playground. And I, I don't know. I never really had a lot of self-worth, I guess. Um, that's why it was really hard for me to kind of leave playground eventually mm-hmm. because I never really believed in myself. You know, like I've always had, you know, Jason's wing. And so when I finally kind of took that leap of faith, I put myself on indeed. And the owners of Whitestone reached out to me. And shortly after I met Tony and just like, I fell into this thing of like, while I was at Playground, it's just like, man, like everyone's wanting the James Beard Award. Everyone's wanting the Michelin Star. Everyone's trying to be the best of their ability in this industry. And like, fucking, fuck yeah. Like, yeah. That's, what's the point of doing anything if you don't have a goal? Right? Mm-hmm. So I fell in that mindset too. I'm like, fuck, okay, well, let's work with the best. Let's go work at Talk Maria. Let's go open Angler. Let's go do this. And I don't think it's fair to Orange County, let alone. Um, just for all the talented individuals here to pack their bags and go to places like fucking LA or Chicago or New York, you know what I mean? Or San Francisco to all these mecca of culinary, you know, mission star restaurants mm-hmm. and kind of, and kind of chase that startup, you know, where for me, it's just like, man, I'm born here. I'm from here. This is where I'm at. And I, I want to bring it to the table here. And I'm not saying I'm going to do it one day. I don't know if I can, like, but, more power to us, but like, I don't think that we should be taking all our talents to like other places. It's a super, you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's super commendable to think that way. And I think that long-term that's something and I'd already talked with a couple of chefs that is starting to rear its head from this entire kind of pandemic is those hotspots like, you know, New York, LA, San Francisco, Chicago, you know, those kind of dining destinations one of the vacuums that I think is going to get created out of all this is some of those chefs are going to be like, all right, fuck this. I'm not dealing with these, you know, $100,000 rent prices. I'm not dealing with all of this insanity. I'm surrounded by, you know, three Michelin stars and things like that per se is two blocks away. I'm going to go back mm-hmm. to my hometown. I'm going to go back to somewhere smaller and I'm going to make my name there. And it happened in a couple of places. Yeah. Like Minneapolis a couple of years ago was really good about doing this. And I think having chefs like you, and especially with a resume like that, and I want to talk about Playground and Taco Maria a little bit. Again, we're going to get the Whitestone eventually, but there's so many other things that I want to unpack first. Um, I think it's yeah. awesome to have chefs sit around like that. And then I would argue that having Playground, Taco Maria, restaurants like Whitestone, uh, before he left for Florida, Zach Gearson, people like that were making Orange County kind of those impact restaurants, kind of those restaurants that people look at, those kind of average diners that are used to, you know, Caesar salad and a salmon over lentils. And they're kind of like, Oh shit, food can be a lot more than this. Um, I do yeah, want to talk about sure. Jason at playground. Jason is someone I have a lot of respect for. I want to get him on the show eventually. Um, I don't know of any restaurant that has had a bigger impact alumni wise. I mean, journeyman has had a really, really good one when Zach was here with people coming and going, but playground, the more mm-hmm. people you talk to, the more you realize just how many goddamn chefs spent time in that kitchen and good chefs to be out at what was your time? I mean, you said you did seven years there. I think playground kind of gets overlooked sometimes. It's so consistent. It's so freaking good. Everything that they do up there, the dough exchange, I mean, the bagels in the morning are insane. What was your time kind of there yeah. like, and how did that help shape you? And how was staging for Jason and all of that? 
I mean, that's kind of, that, that definitely made me who I am. Like, uh, you know, um, when I, when I first approached playground and when I first went there to initially stars, I mean, I, I kind of, like I said, I lost everything and I was kind of in a situation where like, there's nothing else to lose. Like, yeah. let's, just, let's just pour my heart into this. And so Jay was a great mentor, man. Like he, he, he just, oh bullshit, cut and dry. He'll fucking yell at you. He, he knows what he wants. He knows how he wants it done. And for that, like, how would he not respect that? How would he not want to be eager to show up every day with an owner, a chef owner who literally lives above the restaurant who eats shit and breathes playground. Yeah. Like that was his life. That was his life, you know? So I think in any field, you know, if you have a role model or a teacher like that, it's, you know, I don't know the word, essential. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's everything. Mm-hmm. And so it was rough, man. Like there's definitely times when I'm sitting there on the corner and I'm like, man, like I'm like full nuts into my stars and you know, I'm, I used to be, you know, a shitty drug dealer or whatever, but I made way more money running around on the streets than I would be working for free. And, but it's just like that moment when you taste a baby Japanese peach for the first time. Mm-hmm. And the moment when you, those moments, you know, and that's what playground was, was the moment. It's not just a restaurant. It's a place where you create experiences. Yeah. And that's what I love about this industry because there's so many other restaurants that are robbing you of a true experience of culture of, I hate the F word. I hate the word fusion, but like, I don't know. There's just so much more out there that you get to learn when you go to a restaurant like playground. And it shaped me, not just by like who I am, but like the way I look at life and culture and views and like, eventually that's a 2.0. And that's like, we you know the hot spots for a playground. That's where any cook wants to be. And like you said, man, like it was a revolving door. Like the amount of cooks I met at playground because of the intensity it is like a lot of people couldn't hang or a lot of people, you know, got poached and they, mm-hmm. you know, got offered big dogs after they left playground. And, um, once I finally got the 2.0, man, it was such an experience having that one-on-one. And Justin, who just opened Porch and Swing in Irvine, I highly recommend anyone to go check that out as well, yep, yep. Um, who had a big part of me and, you know, my growth and learning from him as well. Like, working next to Jason and Justin, man, I don't think people really understand how talented they really, really are, uh, how dangerous of a team they, they are, you know? If you have two people that can honestly just yell at each other and get past it and then work through it, in a matter of 10 minutes, like, and be as talented as they are, like, dude, come on. Like, it, it, it was so rewarding to be under their, their wings, you know? Mm-hmm. But at the, at the same time, it, it, it could be a little hostile. You know what I mean? Like, growing up there, it was, it was hard because, you know, when you work for professional chefs, you got to act like an adult. And when mm-hmm. I was stubborn, acting like a kid, you know, drinking a lot, getting high or whatever, I wasn't mature enough in my early years at playground. And then later on, you know, things happen and Jason and I relationship is definitely terminated. Like we're not friends anymore, Mm -hmm. but that also has a lot to do with my behavior and I own it. Like I don't fucking care. Like I have life on life terms and you know, some, some situations I just can't be there for him all the time. Yeah. And whatever happened, it clashed him. That's life. But working there and being a part of them, I would I would never have anything bad to say about them because like, dude, they're fucking phenomenal. They kick ass, and if anyone hasn't been there, I highly recommend that you go. 
Yeah. Yeah, and that 2.0 experience really is something else. When when that finally hopefully comes back, that thing is an absolute absolute trip. And good luck getting a reservation, yeah. but that thing's an absolute trip. No, it's cool, man. Like, I don't know. I, I go on tangents sometimes. I kind of just remind myself of what the original question was. But um, <laughs> working working at two point oh, man, and what Justin said recently on one of his like uh, podcasts or whatever, um, it's intoxicating, man. That that moment of being able to cook in front of someone and teaching them is the moment I had when I was a guest there before I made my moral decision. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in a position where I get to do that. Two people, fuck, man, that's better than any high. Yeah, that, that is so freaking cool. Yeah, so freaking cool. And like to me, that's intoxicating. Now, like, that's all I want to do. And now, you know, I have a little more confidence in myself and standing on my own two feet. I, you know, spread my wings and decided to leave. And I had the most greatest opportunity to go at Whitestone and Dan Point, and not just partner up, but kind of, you know, befriended Tony. You know, like he is only two years older than I am. But man, like, we're just so different. We're so different. Polar opposites. So, like, where my background is, I never thought about being a chef. I never came up in the industry, like, the way he did with the hot, with the high end catering and all that. I came from a person that says, fuck you. I want to cook my food the way I want, and you're going to love it. Yeah. You know? And for us to mold together, and like, I have a hard time looking at computers where Tony can do a spreadsheet, no fucking problem. And so we just complement each other in a way that I haven't really had the opportunity to like work with somebody like that. Well, you mentioned that dynamic back in the day of Justin and Jason, and you're absolutely right for anybody that hasn't checked out porch and swing, they opened like a month into the shutdown, I think is, or like two months in. So they are brand, brand new up in Irvine. Definitely check them out. And their cocktail program is really finding its feet now too. So that's a real fun one to check out. So getting into Whitestone again, you mentioned the stint at Taco Maria. There's no one that's not going to pick you up with playground and Taco Maria on a resume. Um, how did that first kind of relationship, how was the first interaction with Tony and kind of, cause you guys have, and again, I hate the word fusion too. It's such a dirty yeah. word, but you guys have a wildly, <laughs> wildly, I mean, actually more, more so I hate the term globally influenced cause I think it's bullshit. You guys have a globally influenced yeah. menu. If anybody actually earns it, you guys do. How did that first kind of meeting go that. to develop the menu? What did that, like, what did the first menu look like? Did you guys just come up with a bunch of dishes and be like, shit, we are all over the country. <laughs> like we are all over the damn world. I think once, I think Tony didn't really know where or who or what playground or talk you know, I, I didn't know Taco Maria, but he didn't know playground. He didn't know Jason mm-hmm. and he didn't know like the, the utility belt that came with working at that place, those places, you know? And so when Tony and I first met each other, we had obviously, you know, visions and goals. And Whitestone is such a small, small operation, right? Yeah. You know, it's just well, an owner, his wife, and a, and a dream. And they've never been in the hospitality business ever. And Tony and I are kind of like the people that run the operations for them. Because they've given us the keys to the door and the blessings to, hey, you know what? We trust you guys. And here. You do the deal. And I, I tell Tony all the time, man, like, we got so lucky just to have somebody that have so much faith in us. Like, you know, what angel investor is going to go, okay, here's fucking uh, $1.2 million and then another million dollars in anything we fucking need. Like, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. And to be in a point off PCH, we really sat down and, you know, kind of like, what are we going to do? Like, who, who are we? And that's when we kind of shot ourselves in the foot, in my honest opinion. It's because no one knew who Tony or I was. 
Indian appliance. They don't. I'm not like some NECA Orange County chef. Mm-hmm. No one knows my fucking name, Nick Carrera. They know the playground. They know of Chocolate Maria and they know of Jay, like the places that I worked for, but they don't know me, you know, so, and they don't know Tony because he's from LA. So when we were initially making the menu, we were just trying to be loud, loud as fuck and just doing all these different creative things. And next thing you know, we're looking at the menu, you're like, damn, we're all over the map. Like we're all over the world. We're, we love fermentation. We love, I, I love pushing the envelope, you know? Yeah. And Dana Point doesn't have that. No. So, I mean, other than Craft House, you know, where they opened, uh, I think it was like five years ago now. I don't know. Well, but I would even say, and, well, I, and I love Blake, and I love what Rob and I love Rob Wilson down at Glass Bar too. But they're far more traditional restaurants as compared to what you guys do. I would say that they elevate yeah. they elevate people's comfort level, whereas you provoke and educate in a way that they're just not doing with their cuisine. And that's not a knock against them; they're just very different restaurants compared to what you guys are trying to do. Oh, not at all. If anything, they're fucking smart because they did they built their trust. Blake built their trust. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think if Tony and I would have just like, Hey, stuck with the traditional, put the fucking burger on the menu, put the the fish and chips on the menu and show people that we know how to cook a burger. Show people that we know how to cook a fish and chips. I mean, granted, obviously like, you know, look at our fucking resume. It's gotta be cook a burger. But like the fact that we take, you know, a 90 day age dried ribeye or fucking use garm in then you're the whole process of making the burger. There's a lot that's untold when we do our thing. So I think if we just build people's trust about like how do we, how we approach a burger or how we approach, you know, carbonara or the fish and chips, then we have room to create a relationship. And then from there, when I want to put, you know, Hamoda Berico, Secreta, Port Tartar, they don't kind of freak out. They can actually trust me. Yeah. By the way, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Secreta is having a moment right now. I went on Instagram this morning, and like nine different people ate that <laughs> dish in the past forty-eight hours. So that thing is coming out swinging this month, which I'm all for. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. No, that's the the beautiful piece. But um, yeah, man. So it's just like I don't know. When we got to Whitestone and we started figuring out what we wanted to do, you know, I think we're I think we're ahead of Whitestone time or Dana Point time. So we kind of tone it back a little bit Vastly, yeah. and then fucking co- and then COVID hit, you know what I mean? Like that was a roller coaster all within itself. Like I, I left for a little bit cause I'm, you know, I had my own health issues and I got kind of tripped out when, you know, half the world is being affected by a, a virus that attacks the respiratory system. And I'm like, fuck it. I've had asthma my whole life. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like I love cooking. I love the last film, but like, dude, I want to, you know, I want to see my family. Yeah, you know, I want to. I want to grow the fuck up. Totally. It's like, you. dude, when it, when it, when it first happened, like no one no one knew what's what. And now I'm at the point where, like, dude, like, come on, like, I just want to go to the beach. Like, I just want to open the restaurant. I just want to have customers dine in. Like, I just want to explain what a dish is to somebody that doesn't know what a dish is. Yeah, you know what I mean. So I, I obviously again. talked to Tony when this all first broke out. You guys had shifted. At, when we recorded, we were talking about everything was takeout. There was no dine-in uh, to go. Like ABC had just kind of really gotten the to-go cocktails going. You guys were really starting to kind of dial in your takeout stuff. You were out at that point, obviously respecting your own health issues. Now, obviously, about two and a half, three months has passed since I sat down with him. We had indoor dining sure. for a bit, and then we lost that. Now it's all outdoor. You guys don't have a ton of outdoor space. What is the last yeah, let's dude, say, like, month kind of been like for you? I mean, honestly, easy. I mean, coming from a place like Playground where, you know, there's a grip of tables and you can do like 500 covers in a night. And then you 
fast forward to eight years now or, you know, nine years later, and then you're here and you're cooking for like fucking eight tables, you know, in a situation where it's like, I can't even, I don't have a big patio, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's easy. I'm not gonna lie. It's fucking easy. Like to cook, to cook for, you know, eight tables, it's easy, you know? What's um, it like on the business standpoint of things though? I mean, I wish it could be better. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish we were, I wish, I wish, I wish it could be better. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, you gotta, you gotta be, you have to be optimistic. And I think that on the business standpoint, we're learning a lot about ourselves in the way we go forward and how we can implement new techniques of service. You know, in the beginning, we weren't a takeout restaurant. We were just dining, high-end dining, world cuisine. And then we had to adjust our wheels and change the menu to be able to put something in a box and, you know, have life to be served at home for somebody. And that's, that's kind of a big one too. So like as, as service wise, you know, we're good. We're, we're, we're keeping our heads above float and we're just waiting until next week to hear what the new law and order is going to be. Cause I guess next week they're going to let us know if we can do dining service again. Yeah. Um, I know that that is, uh, on kind of the docket for a lot of people. And I should mention, so we're recording this episode on August 20th. It will be live next week. Um, so depending yeah. on when you're listening to this, either yay or fucking nay. So we don't know yet. Um, <laughs> it's so, it's so <laughs> shitty, man. It's just like, it, it's, I mean, dude, this fucking schools are opening back up. Fucking hair, I see hair salons have people in there. Gyms have fucking people in there. And it's like, I can't, and I'm all for safety, man. I'm all for safety. I'm all like, let's do it the right way. But ain't nothing's going to happen if the government or like, I hate to be political, but like, I don't know. If they're not having their fucking checks garnished 75%, they have no skin in the game. You know what I mean? I don't disagree like, with you on if, that. I don't disagree with you on that if at government, all. If, if government officials aren't feeling the pain of having to explain to their kids that we have to go on a budget... They, did, they don't know the American pain. They don't know the you know the struggle that people are going through, no. and it's not going to change immediately no, because I, they don't understand. So I would like, argue people like Tom Colicchio and Amanda Cohen up at Dirt Candy in New York have been more vocal with Independent Restaurant Coalition and things like that than any yeah. probably senator has. So I, you and I don't disagree at all on that. Um, Dana Point has yeah. been an interesting community to watch. I mean, I remember I was living here when Blake opened Craft House. He was actually the very first chef I ever interviewed when I transitioned and got into food and kind of beverage mm-hmm. writing. Um, so I've had a great relationship with him for a while. But he was saying, you know, Southern Orange County, for the most part, apart from maybe parts of Laguna Beach and you know, obviously some things in Newport, was Dana Point especially was kind of a culinary desert. Um, and it's changed a yeah. little bit since then, but it's still been an uphill battle. And like you said, you guys came out kind of swinging with these provocative flavors. I mean, one of my favorite things I ever saw was you guys had like a duck pot pie and the leg bone was sticking out and I laughed my uh, yeah. ass off, but I have no it's doubt that, that, yeah, but that I have no doubt that that probably offended quite a few, well, I'm going to use the term Karens out there. Um, yeah. what's the community response been like now? Uh, it's been awesome, man. And I think it's, you know, the same kind of playing field of like what we were doing kind of at playground. It's mm-hmm. just like, dude, either, either love us or hate us, but we're, we're us, man. Yeah. And you know what? We're not, we're not trying to offend anybody by adding activated charcoal to a Bob Ganoush. We're not trying to offend anybody by 
seeking the leg out of a pot pie. Yeah. You know, like we're not, like we're not, you know, but I think that there's more to food than what meets the eye. And I think that if you have people that are willing to push the envelope and try to make dinner more of a learning experience and an obligation to go out, then like, I don't know. I, I, I think it's really cool to be able to teach somebody while they're eating, you know, I think, I think there's there's the aha moment of like, you know, and then you get other people to like, Oh, I don't want to Google shit while I'm I'm at dinner. Well then, okay, that's fine. You don't have to Google shit. Like you you know, there's fucking side of bread on the court. I don't know. There's a Caesar salad (laughs) just for you. (laughs) Like I I can't help it. You know what I mean? But like, it wouldn't hurt for people to like get out of their comfort zone, especially now more than ever. Yeah. I think the culinary world is on the verge of becoming something so freaking special. I'm like, yeah, to touch on Dana Point, it's been a desert, but like, I don't know if you recently looked at the 10 year plan for Dana Point. It's fucking amazing. They're putting out Massive. two new breweries out here, building fucking three more hotels, like Canyons and the Hotel. They're opening uh, three more high end restaurants and like two shopping centers. And in about eight years from now, I really have a feeling that Dana Point's going to be the next Newport. Oh, it's like, I mean, the, up, the like, undertaking, again, if anybody listening to this has not been down there recently, first of all, go and support the local restaurants like Whitestone. But go and look at all the construction that's still going on. And again, you want to talk about other like, little bit of competition in the backyard. I know John Tesar's place is still being built out. Like it's just a massive amount of stuff is going into Dana Point. And as soon as that harbor renovation goes up, it's going to be wild. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's going to be it's going to be a destination spot. So like, I think it's really cool to be a part of that forefront and a, and early on, where Tony kind of got in a year ago, and like we're building within the community on how the new Dana Point could potentially come by not offending the locals because, you know, they don't want their beautiful city to go into the next LA, obviously, yeah. right? So it's just, it's a, it's a reaction, you know, but I, I'm new to Dana Point. I'll tell you what, I fucking love Dana Point. Um, I love living by the beach and I, I, I love the community, man. And like, I mean, granted, there's a lot of people here that like, you know, they drive for Tesla and they go, I have more money than everybody in the room type attitude. But then you have the people who are like, man, like, I'm so happy I don't got to drive to Santa Ana or I don't got to drive to LA or I'm going to drive to San Diego just to get a decent meal. Yeah. And to me, that's, completely that, true. that's who I'm cooking for. How have so, you been staying busy when you're uh, not in the kitchen? Oh, I've been, I've been gardening a lot, man. Um, my beautiful girlfriend, Mar, she works over at Lilo Bottle Works with Chef Amy. And uh, Amy has gotten, given her um, a couple of tomato and corn plants and then from there we kind of started building a massive garden now i have like 60 freaking plants because my girlfriend loves to buy plants now <laughs> that's and, awesome i just, I just <laughs> yeah, did an yeah. episode with amy i think like literally two episodes ago so and we talked about gardening during all this yeah so i mean i i had a atrocious backyard so throughout all this i've been doing a lot of yard work um just kind of clearing my head and just taking walks by the beach and I don't know. I talked to my dad a lot. He's he's a, little, a wise old man. He told me to honestly turn off the news and try to stay above water for the next three or four months because no one really has your best interest. And I'm all like, you're right. You know, like at the end yeah. of the day, I have to figure out how to, how to help the community of Dana Point. You know, I don't understand like how you can go to Ralph and you can go pick up fucking produce in the aisles, but yet the farmer's market is getting taped up and you have to be six feet away from any of the farmer's market. Like I just don't, I don't know. I don't get that. Like, I don't know. I don't understand like why some people are being treated some way that other people aren't. And I guess that's just life. Yeah. There's definitely 
some things that, and, and again, you, you try to see the forest through the trees a little bit, but it's, it's a little tough to kind of understand some of those things when you do go down to the farmer's market and people are just trying to survive and farmer's market, especially, man. I mean, Jesus Christ, if anybody's getting their ass kicked right now, it's farmers and, produ- and producers and people like that. Um, yep. Just yeah. again, it just everybody's sales are down. I think that that's one of the biggest misconceptions people have. They're like, "Oh, that restaurant closed." You're like, "Yeah, but they didn't just have to let go of 42 people. They also had to cancel contracts with all of their producers, their suppliers, their winemakers, their spirits. Like, it's deep. Man. Yeah, it's a deep and, and, and one of the most craziest things I heard about all that is like, you know, Tyson and like all these fucking meat corporations that are like super unhealthy, anyways. But the fact is, like, look, dude, they have all this abundant amount of animals that they need to harvest, I guess, right? They, mm-hmm. they need to break down and to support America. When America had this virus hit, all that line of chain of food all just got thrown us up away. Yeah. Like, like, I, like, we could, like, I don't get that, man. Like, I, I just, I think sometimes I just care so much and it's just hard to stay in my own lane, but it's just like, man, whoever is running the show is fucking sucks. No, I think there's a lot of things that need to change with kind of the food supply and the way that people look at food supplies. And again, like if, if anybody is not working right now and you really, really, really want to go down a dark rabbit hole, just look into beef and like beef sourcing and cows and that entire goddamn industry because the beef industry alone, you think that like murder mystery files are dark and depressing? Uh Uh-uh. No, look into the beef industry. That thing is a fucking nightmare. So I completely agree with you. There's a lot of overhaul that needs to happen for sure. And, like, we're such small fish. And it's like, man, I'm just trying to, like, cook a carrot, cook a potato with no education <laughs> and a fucking criminal background in a place that, in a place that hasn't had it yet, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's who Nick Carrera is. Like, that's who I am. I'm not... I, I, I think that finding out who I am is just trying to figure out who I can become in a place that doesn't know who they are yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know, for sure. But, I got you. Um, I, I want to pivot back to the menu. Ooh, I'm, fuck, I used the word of 2020 pivot. I want to go back to the menu a little <laughs> bit. Uh, I know that before this all started, you guys have been playing around. Last time I saw you guys was like a week before this all broke out, I think. And then I knew that you guys were working on brunch. I know I've seen photos go up of kind of brunch things. Has that been rolled mm-hmm. out? What's that been like? We're shooting for uh, next month. Okay. Mid, mid, mid to next month, we're shooting for brunch, lunch, and all that stuff. I mean, we're going to go as far as extending the windows this week and it's trying to extend our patio service, you know, by taking out some windows, some things here and there to make it more of an air breeze and patio kind of feel. But um, everything's on hold, really, until we figure out what the next chapter of the next week is, you know, because, you know, we pour all our hearts and our energy into something and then a week later, the governor says, oh, well, now you got to shut it all down. Or, oh, now you can open back up. Or, like, you know, no one's going to give us the $5,000 back. It's going to cost us to take down the glass yeah. to extend it out of you. And running such a small operation and only having nine tables available already, it's just like we're, we're just scraping by. So maybe maybe it's maybe it's smart just to do it because you don't know or maybe it's smart just to wait off because mm-hmm. we don't know. And I don't know. I feel like the quiet person always wins. So we're just trying to be quiet and wait and be patient just bide your time and wait i know i hear you well at least we got some sports to watch now in some capacity so oh dude thank god man i'm a huge <laughs> basketball fan and like fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, i'm a basketball fanatic man and so like i, I am just thankful for basketball I'll be back and like 
I don't know. It shows some type of optimism, like some form of normality that if the Mastiffs can be in a bubble together, mm-hmm. like maybe we can all figure out how to do this together as well. I will say this for anybody but, um, that hasn't been watching, because I'm like I'm a fan of basketball. I'm not a diehard fan. It just I, I'm I can't play sports that don't require a stick. So like I can never dribble. So I never got into it just based on like where I was living. You know, the I, I lived in Denver at the time. The Nuggets sucked at the time. Like as soon as we got Carmelo, we were a little better, and then that got all weird. But watching yeah. like the games, the trash talk has been amazing because at the end of the day, they're all going back to the same place. So you're seeing guys just talk yep. shit, and they're like, "I'm in this room. Come see me after the game. We'll actually like ha- hammer this." Yeah, out. we kind of like, like, have been amazing. Right here, buddy. Yeah, yeah, that has been nice to see. Yeah, no, that's great. Who's your team? But, um, yeah, so we're trying to. What's that? Who's your team? Oh, Boston Celtics all day, every day. Okay, come on, I like it. So the world's greatest, the world's greatest NBA franchise with the most championships. Come on, <laughs> that's true. My Fair squad. <laughs> for, any, for any Lakers fan out there, you know who it is. Um, all right, so. Back to Whitestone. Um, I mean, like, yeah, we're trying to roll out the whole lunch and lunch menu mm-hmm. on the upcoming next month, you know. And I think that, I think that's gonna be cool. A lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we don't. We're just, we're just excited. I think Dana Point's a major brunch mecca um, with limited options. So I think that's gonna be a great point to capture some of the locals and some of the some of the new guests. Well, I mean, I love brunch there's no way like two ways about it and it's not just like the whole bottomless mimosa just you know sunday day drinking having fun type of thing i just i love brunch service i know that it's can be such a pain in the ass from a cook's perspective because you're dealing with so many delicate things that are basically kind of short ticket times and there's so much that can go wrong so quickly that you know eggs benedict can kind of be the bane of so many cooks existence but I do think yeah. you're right. I think that that can kind of help push. Um, it is a big brunch town. I mean, who doesn't like to go down near, near the water and you know tie a couple on and get, drown it with some eggs? So, yeah, I agree. I think, uh, any previews I think of what the menu's going right. to Yeah. Any previews of what the menu is going to look like? No. Um, <laughs> because Tony and I, this moment, we just go, all right, what do you want to do? How are we feeling? What's our inspiration? Um, and, I, and, I, and go back on that comment. Like, yeah, brush could be rough for some people. And I absolutely agree. But, like, if you, that's if you're working at, like, I don't know, a place that is so fucking mainstream that you have to be having a Benedict or you have to have, you know, whatever, an omelet or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think with the creative restaurants, like what we're doing at Whitestone or Slayground, I never did a bunch thing or, you know, like Talk Maria, it's just when you, when you have no boundaries and you can put, you know, whatever you want into something and you get to learn along the way, it's not just, okay, I got to poach a fucking egg. It's just like, what can I do to poach this egg? Can yeah. I poach it in wine? Can I poach it and fucking show you? Can I poach it in, can I poach it in something different? Ooh, you know? And I think, I think, I think once you're, yeah, I like that. I think once you're introduced to that type of culinary world, fuck, sign me up for much. Cause I want to make people, yeah. you know, I want to make, I want to make a Benedict instead of using, you know, the tortilla or as a, uh, English muffin, I want to go tamale, you know, and then fill it, stuff the tamale with something, and then go pull blonde hollandaise, and then go, you know, because, like, why? Why stay traditional? Yeah. Traditional fucking boring. Yeah. I mean, as much and as I love, like, every- a classic Eggs Benedict, I had an Italian one over at Bello two weeks ago, and it was, like, a truffle hollandaise on top of, like, focaccia with I'm like, this is fucking delicious. This is great, because it's familiar. Oh, yeah, you can't go wrong. It's, like, yeah. traditional. Like, change right. it up and just manipulate it how you want and make it creative and make it fun. I'm all in on that. I love yeah. that. We're uh, we're working on this fucking this mole show you right now. Mm-hmm. Fucking 
lights out, dude. It's so, it's so cool. And like Tony and I have really digested into, uh, uh, what we call, or what the world would call Nikki cuisine. Um, it's a absolute wonder of flavors. And I hate to use the F word again because it's so much more than that. It's more, it's so much more than just a season. It's more of like when the, um, Japanese culture went into their, uh, industrial revolution and mm-hmm. they went to Peru and they brought their walks and they bought their fucking rice and they brought their techniques of fresh fish and introduced their Japanese techniques into South American ingredients. And that is the fusion of Nikki cuisine. And yeah. dude, it is fucking awesome. I, I love that shit. I love the flavors. I love chilies. I love fresh fish. I love Aki on the real. I love lime, crispy quinoa, corn, potato. Like, dude, if you don't like that stuff, you can't be fine. Yeah. Who doesn't like, like those flavors? Like, like all of those things sound really, really good. Yeah. And so, like, we've, we've been digesting into that. How can we take Japanese techniques into, you know, I don't know, South well, American cuisine? So, like, Molly Shoyu is definitely up that alley. I think the word fusion is going to get manipulated a little bit because, again, like in the 90s and late 80s, it was so dirty because everything was forced, right? Everything was, uh, yeah. you know, octopus pinwheels with balsamic and it, it just like carpaccios that made no sense. Like, it was forced. What you're talking about is just the, it's like latitude and longitude. Like these are natural lines of progression. So I know, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's still on Netflix at the time of this recording. If it is, Mind of a Chef from PBS, for anybody listening, go watch it. Chef Ed Lee out of, I want to say Kentucky. Um, Amazing, amazing chef. He does an entire episode talking about latitude, lines of latitude and longitude and how they influence food. And it's not fusion. It's just the natural progression of history. Like you said, Japanese going to Peru. Absolutely. The same thing, like the Spanish going down to parts of South America. I mean, these are just natural things that happened historically. So, of course, these natural flavors are going to melt. The world. Yeah. I mean, just because right. some asshole at Park Plaza in downtown Manhattan in 92, like, did some terrible dish with, you know, all these different ingredients. Yeah, some food writer labeled it yeah. fusion, but that's not what it truly is. So, I agree with you. It's it's kind of a dirty word that you get to you get to scrub off a little bit. And I think you guys are on the right path to do it. Yeah, man. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that. And I do thank you for, like, you know, involving you know, white, not just Whitestone, but me as well on the show because, like, I don't know, like, I, like going back, like, I don't have a lot of self worth. I don't know who I am. I know who I am, but I don't know what we're capable of doing. And so, just to kind of like spread your own wings and like stand in your own two feet, sometimes it's really nice when, like, you know, people, gentlemen like yourself reach out to people like us because we're not high end people. We're not, you know, global chefs or, you know, not even city chefs. Not, not, there's not a lot of people that know us. And I think it's just being humble, being patient, and just cooking your heart out. Cooking the food that you want to cook and stop trying to chase that fucking bean steer. So don't, don't, cha- don't chase. Don't chase. Do you. Be your own leader. Yeah. And everything will fall in place. I could not agree with you more, man. I could not yeah. agree with you more. So, Well, Nick, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, man. Um, if people want to follow you on social media, obviously uh, they're probably already following Whitestone off of Tony's, but if they want to follow you in the restaurant, social media, stuff like that, where can they do that? Uh, Herrera 949 um, That is my Instagram account or Nick Herrera on Facebook. But that's you know, all I got from my media outlets. That works. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, you definitely got self-worth. I love the way you cook. I love your story. I think it's absolutely awesome. And pending whatever the hell next week's decision is, hopefully Whitestone will get up and get yeah. cranking again along with the rest of the restaurant so we can finally start to dig our way yeah. out of this and take no more casualties. Hell yeah, man. One day at a time. Cup half full. That's all we can do. You no know? doubt. No doubt. One day at a time. All right, brother. All right, brother. Well, it's been, uh, been a pleasure, man. been an absolute pleasure for me too, man. Be well, and I hope to see you soon. Uh, see you soon.
All right, see you next. Bye. Whatever. That was Chef Nick Carrera. Thank you so much to him for taking the time, coming on the show, putting up with all the questions. Um, again, kind of like I said in the intro, you know, his story is not a rare one. Um, you know, people make mistakes. They fix themselves. We shouldn't hold those mistakes against them for the rest of their lives. I mean, it's one of the bigger pictures that, you know, we're kind of arguing about with mass incarceration, at least in this country, kind of right now, which is a whole nother podcast topic for somebody much smarter than I to tackle. Uh, but again, focusing back on Nick, I'm so thankful for the time. Thank you to him. Thank you to Tony for coming on initially right when this podcast was just getting its little legs going. Uh, if you enjoy it, please go check out their restaurant. Please support chefs like him. If you got a restaurant like it near you, help them out. Because again, everybody is getting their teeth kicked in right now and they need all the love they can get. So, And definitely, I will say this, when that brunch menu launches, I will be there. So I hope to see you there if you live in the area, depending on where you're hearing this. If you are international or Florida or New York, thank you for the support. Find a chef like Nick in your backyard and support them. Creative people who just want to do well, who just want to make something of themselves and kind of figure out where they're at. And I'm so grateful for him to jump it on the line and doing it each and every freaking day because the world is a better place when you got cooks that care like him in the kitchen. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. I will see you next time. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Aliso Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash the best seats. The following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Here are the supporters. Alex Cook, Katie Gazzy, Eric Lutz, 